Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, are you tired of searching for meaningful CE? CE Impact brings learning to you through a continuing education subscription service. That's right, no more searching. It comes directly to your inbox and it's really good. Subscribe today at ceimpact.com to receive a hot topic CE course on the first of every month. You'll also receive bonus content and tools to implement your learning. If you want to keep searching for good CE, you might or might not find it, and you'll waste a lot of time searching. Or you can sign up today to get CE Impact's subscription service and have all the CE you need when you need it. It's that easy. Once again, go to ceimpact.com and sign up for the subscription service. Don't waste another minute. ceimpact.com. Let the learning come to you. Hello there, and welcome to another great episode of uh, Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, a professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University, and uh, welcoming you to another uh, quick edition of, of, of this podcast. Uh, those of you who are first-time listeners, welcome, and those who are long-time listeners, welcome, and uh, hope you will, hopefully you'll find this episode as uh, hopefully our previous episodes, both uh, informative and hopefully semi-entertaining as we kind of go along. So uh, again, big thank you, those who are listening to us, uh, please, wherever you are listening, listening to your podcast or get your podcast, please like us and, and uh, subscribe and, and spread the word that uh, we've got, we've got, um, I hope, a pretty good uh, podcast about about pharmacotherapy going on. Uh, certainly, if you're going to going to take the time to listen, why don't you take the time to get rewarded for it, head on over to CE Impact, the sponsors of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. They have a plethora of great CE programs on their website, um, and, and you can actually get CE for this uh, at a very affordable price, and of course, that keeps the lights on and, and as they say, um, uh, when, when we're doing these sort of things. So uh, thank you again for listening. So today we are going to talk about uh, gabapentinoid abuse, not because there was a gigantic big study that came out or anything along those lines. I was literally perusing uh, just some some of the, the journals that I tend to take a look at. One of those journals is drug safety, because a lot of times they have some really, really good reviews. And in fact, a, they had just published in on August 28th, a, a systematic review on abuse and misuse of gabapentinoids. And and I think this is something that I think most community pharmacists have seen. And I, I suspect if uh, if you're a hospital pharmacist, you may have even dealt with an overdose or two of this. So I felt like it was something that was certainly worth worth discussing. You know, as as would probably not be a big surprise, we've seen uh, gabapentin prescriptions and pregabalin prescriptions just skyrocket in the wake of of the 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 uh, lack of opioid prescriptions. And so you know, more and more, I think we've seen uh, uh, prescribers try to use gabapentinoids as either a bridge in patients where they're trying to back them off of, of, of their opioids or just as part of the multimodal management that we're now recommending for, for most chronic non-malignant pain. It's like, well, gee, you know, you know, some uh, sometimes some of these pain uh, uh, issues can have a neuropathic component, so maybe gabapentin or, or pregabalin will work. And in some areas, that has been shown to be true. Um, certainly, there's been several studies, for example, looking at perioperative and postoperative pain. 
Um, so people have had surgeries and they have found that that perioperative or postoperative use of gabapentin does seem to at least decrease uh, morphine use and other opioid use and things along those lines. So, you know, I think there is some data, at least in, in the surgery literature, that suggests that that, that uh, gabapentinoids can decrease opioid use. But we've also seen some of the opposite where we've seen where there have been a few studies looking at it for chronic back pain, for example. And again, we have patients who have, you know, long-term non-malignant chronic back pain for a, a long time in the early 2000s. We were, of course, prescribing these patients, you know, opioids and then realized that wasn't a great idea. And now we're trying to back them off of opioids, but the patients are still in pain. So in many times, I think prescribers are now kind of substituting uh, gabapentin and pregabalin for uh, uh, the opioids that we're using as either, again, kind of a bridge or as just as, as a first-line agent. And the studies in that have not been nearly as, as positive, and in most studies have not found a significant benefit with, with, with those medications. So, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, uh, we have definitely seen an increase in, in gabapentin use. And in fact, um, I think that's going to accelerate as, uh, you know, pregabalin uh, was, was, was named brand for many, many years, very expensive. Uh, just last year, um, uh, the FDA approved multiple generics for it. So my guess is we're going to start seeing, and, and for those who work in community pharmacy, probably have already seen a decrease in price. And that, of course, is going to be more, more people are on it. So, you know, what have we seen as far as, 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 uh, as use of these drugs? Um, well, um, from 2012 to 2016, uh, gabapentin prescribing increased 64%. And actually in 2017, 68 million prescriptions of gabapentin were dispensed, making it the 10th most commonly prescribed medication. I have to admit that kind of, that kind of gobsmacked me when I, when I read that statistic, because I had no idea it was that common. Now we've long known that, 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 that these drugs do have the potential for dependence and addiction, um, just because of their, uh, CNS euphoric side effects, right? So anything that has CNS euphoric side effects, uh, can of course cause, you know, psychological dependence and, you know, early mouse studies had actually suggested that, that, that there, that it was a, had, did have rewarding properties. And so even when gabapentin or uh, pregabalin first came out, it, it, in, it was a schedule five drug at a federal level and, um, uh, gabapentin had kind of dodged that bullet and, and, and was not, but, uh, as I'm sure many of you practicing in, in certain states in the union know uh, that 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 mo many state boards have have reclassified gabapentin as a Schedule Five drug. That includes a lot of states in the Southeast um, and many states in the Mountain West as well. Also, uh, you know, many more states who uh, may not have actually gone through the the reclassification process have at least required that all gabapentin prescriptions be put on the state's uh, prescription uh, um, uh, monitoring program. So, whether it's monitoring PMP or whether it's rescheduling, I think certainly at a, at a state board level, uh, there has been the awareness that in, in the last, you know, you know, again, 15, 20 years, we're seeing a dramatic increase in, in uh, uh, gabapentin and pregabalin use. And then there's other concomitant risk of, of, of dependence and addiction. So this is, like I said, this paper from uh, uh, just a, uh, about six weeks ago that was a nice systematic review on on the evidence associated with this. You know, they point out that that, that the gabapentinoids actually, even though I think the, the common thought is that, well, they're in the name, GABA's in the name, they must be GABA, right? Well, in, in fact, they aren't uh, actually, they aren't actually uh, uh, increasing GABA synthesis or metabolism. What they actually do is is they, they stimulate uh, ligands on the alpha-2 delta subunit of voltage 
damage gated calcium channels, and that actually leads to uh, an increase in uh, um, uh, GABA release and a decrease in glutamate release. So, it kind of you have this kind of net increase in, in uh, endogenous GABA levels. And of course, GABA, you know, is our relaxing uh, neurotransmitter. So, it's going to give features of relaxation and euphoria, and that's what what we uh, certainly see with this drug, especially at super therapeutic doses. And one of the things they note in this systematic review is that the, the case series is and, and retrospective studies that have looked at gabapentin and pregabalin use, um, the, the, the doses that are often used are far in excess of what you'd see in the package insert. Um, I, you know, again, most pharmacists, and I think a lot of prescribers are aware that, that uh, gabapentin has this incredibly wide dosage range, right? Anywhere from 300 milligrams at bedtime all the way up to 3,600 milligrams a day. So, I mean, that's just an unbelievably wide dosing range. Uh, in one uh, study, they were finding that, that uh, the average amount that the patients were abusing was more along the lines of six to seven thousand milligrams. So, uh, you know, it, it seems that that particularly the euphoric effects of of gabapentin in particular uh, seem to occur at much higher uh, um, doses than you would tend to see for neuropathic pain or, or anything along those lines. So, so you know, what, what have worldwide studies shown as far as as dependence and abuse? Uh, the paper points out that there's been a couple of of recent reports based from the U.S. FDA adverse uh, event reporting system that both found that that reports of uh, pregabalin and gabapentin uh, uh, dependence have, have increased dramatically from 2005 to, to 2017. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, the, when they look at all as a, as a whole, all of ad, uh, adverse effect reports of both the drugs, uh, abuse-related reports was about 10% of, of pregabalin um, reports um, and in 2012, and that went up, or 2005, and that went up to 26% in 2017. And that was compared with gabapentin, which had 5.7% of its average drug reaction reports being uh, related to abuse, and that went up to 22%. Um, so, so again, a dramatic increase in the reports to the FDA of, of, of uh, uh, reports of abuse of, of these medications. It does seem, uh, when you take a look at the Euro, uh, uh, European Union uh, uh, pharmacovigilance uh, databases, the British uh, databases and the U.S. databases, the pregabalin uh, does seem to, to, to uh, have more reports of abuse associated with it. Um, and I guess that's probably, again, not that surprising. It's much more potent and much more selective for, for, for that receptor. So it's probably more likely, especially at higher doses, to cause the, those feelings of euphoria and, and relaxation. Um, as you as probably not that big surprise, most reports to the FDA ADR program found that, that patients who uh, were abusing uh, gabapentin and, and pregabalin were also concomitantly abusing opioids. That's probably not a very big surprise to most people. Uh, in, interestingly, the, the paper points out that the, the, the uh, European database actually had a, a case series of 13 cases of people who were crushing pregabalin and snorting it, and that was actually associated with a fatal outcome in two out of those, those 13 cases. So I wouldn't have thought you could snort the uh, pregabalin, <laughs> but if there's one thing being a pharmacist for almost 30 years has taught me is that people will snort just about anything. So, yeah, it, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but uh, yeah, so apparently that that is a thing you can do, um, and you shouldn't do it, obviously, um, that, uh, that that has been reported. So, um, uh, I think the things to take away from 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 the uh, European databases and the U.S. databases is that the amount of patients abusing the drugs has dramatically increased, that patients are, are concomitantly abusing other medications as well, and that there have been fatalities resorted, uh, recorded from it, and that's, that's the other thing this paper points out is that uh, the number of reported deaths where e 
either pregabalin or gabalin was a, a, a factor in death, in the death based on what the pathologist had thought and looking at the autopsies and things along those lines has again, has, has again gone up. So I think we don't tend to think of, of pregabalin or gabalin uh, or gabapentin as, as uh, drugs that are tend to be fatal in overdose and, and by themselves, they probably aren't. Um, and, and again, I think it points out the fact that like so many other things like, like alcohol, like, like, uh, benzodiazepines, these drugs tend to potentiate the CNS depressant effects of other, uh, drugs. So if someone is abusing multiple medications at once, they end up taking too much of one or another and things like that. That's when they're really going to get into trouble, uh, because this is going to potentiate the CNS depressive effects that they're going to find. Um, interestingly, uh, what, what, uh, other medications people are taking does vary from country to country. This paper points out that in the U S opioids are probably number one, but in other countries there it's things like, uh, um, uh, buprenorphine, which is, under, is, is an opioid, certainly, uh, cocaine and caffeine are also commonly reported as as uh, uh, co-abused drugs with gabapentin and, and, and pregabalin. So that's interesting to note as well. Um, when we get to the toxicology again, you know, the, the paper has a very nice review of, of, of reports from U.S. Boys and Control Centers and and uh, just case reports of, of deaths, and they, they they note that that again, you know. Deaths are relatively rare, where just pregabalin or gabapentin by themselves are overdose, and I, I can attest that I've certainly seen people uh, who have who have uh, intentionally or unintentionally overdosed on on both these medications in my career. And uh, while they get very sleepy and 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 things along those lines, you know, since it doesn't tend to, to inhibit respirations by themselves, you don't tend to see them by themselves uh, getting people into really big trouble. But uh, you do see it when when it's used concomitantly with 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 a lot of other medications. So I think that. That's that. That's that's worth knowing, I think, as well. So, like, you know, if we're going to consider these drugs, uh, uh, you know, as as abuse potential, then then the other two questions to ask, I think, are, and I think this paper kind of discusses somewhat, is, uh, you know, are gabapentinoids addictive? So, I mean, you know, you know, the uh, if, if if drugs are being abused, then the next question you have to ask yourself is, is there a psychological or physiological dependence that occurs in these patients? And of course, you know, then you have to kind of get into some of the discussion about, about, um, you know, what's the definition of addiction and, you know, versus physiologic, uh, um, uh, dependence. Uh, I won't dive into that cause that's, you know, that's above my pay grade as well as, is probably several different, uh, uh, podcasts in of itself. But this paper points out the fact that, that several studies have looked at, at, uh, the, the, the addictive potential of the gabapentinoids. Uh, for example, they point out a paper, uh, where they, uh, a group of investigators did face-to-face investigations, um, uh, in patients who had been admitted, uh, uh, or of interviews, excuse me, in, in patients who had been admitted with uh, ga- uh, gabapentin or pregabalin overdoses or just uh, that was part of, of the cocktail they were taking uh, that they were abusing and then were admitted to a, a chemical dependence unit. And so what they found was was that uh, um, about 7% of patients uh, who were on uh, who, who had been over, uh, abusing these drugs had met the DSM-4, uh, they used the DSM-4 criteria uh, for uh, addiction for these medications. 
And so, um, you know, uh, that and other studies suggest that again, by themselves, uh, you know, while anything can be psychologically addictive, right. And any medication can be psychologically addictive. It seems the actual, uh, the, the true addictive potential of these drugs is actually fairly low. So that, that is some good news that people will, will, will take these medications certainly, uh, for their, uh, CNS and euphoric effects, but it doesn't seem that they need to continue to take the medications, uh, to, to achieve the same effect and that, um, uh, they won't, they won't have the, the, uh, dependence effects that you would see. They're probably, you know, less likely to say break into somebody's house to, to steal the money to, you know, buy gabapentin or pregabalin on the street, things along those lines. So it seems that, that the addictive potential of gabapentin is, and pregabalin is fairly low. The corollary question then, too, then is, well, if, 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 if addiction is low, what about withdrawal? If somebody were to suddenly is taking these unbelievably high doses of, of, of gabapentin and pregabalin, uh, you know, it, what, what are the chances that if you suddenly stop it, that they could have some problems? And um, interestingly, the, the, this paper doesn't discuss the withdrawal symptoms at all. I did a lit search on my own, just, you know, taking a look at it. And there's actually been just, you know, there's been a few cases and a few case series of uh, reporting, uh, uh, particularly with gabapentin at high doses that suddenly stop, it can lead to a mild withdrawal syndrome. There was one or two cases of seizures um, that were reported, but the, the, that was gabapentin in patients who were using the drug as a anti-epileptic. I think sometimes we almost forget that gabapentin first came out in the United States uh, as an anti-epileptic. Nobody really uses it for seizures anymore. So I'm not really sure you can count that. You know, If I suddenly stop an anti-epileptic and somebody who has seizures and they have a seizure, I'm not really sure you can count that as a withdrawal syndrome. Um, but other uh, newer papers have suggested that people can get, you know, agitated and fidgety and, and you know, you know, very, you know, again, nothing life-threatening or anything along those lines. So um, what I would say is that is that if you do have somebody on a very, very high dose of, of gabapentin for anything, you know, they were abusing it or they were just on an, a very high dose for, for neuropathic pain and they wanted to switch off it or they wanted to stop it or something along those lines, it's probably probably logical in, in, in those patients to, to, to do a, a taper. And I don't think you have to do a, a very super duper prolonged taper, but probably something over the line of, you know, two to two to six weeks taper, depending on how high of the dose they are and how they're tolerating it. I think that's just for patient comfort uh, more than, than uh, the life-threatening fear that they're going to, they're going to have a withdrawal similar to, you know, alcohol withdrawal or, or, or even benzo withdrawal. Um, and, and so that, that's something I think to kind of keep in mind. So the, you know, the paper basically, you know, goes on to say that 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 the curves for uh, uh, abuse reports and use of both these drugs is just continuing to go up, and 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 that's especially true in the United States. So I don't think this is something that that we're, that is going to get cut off or stopped anytime soon. I think that that we do have mounting evidence showing that gabapentinoids can be abused and misused in patients, in particular uh, patients who are co concomitantly using you know opioids or other um, uh, medications that they're abusing, and that. That it does have the potential to potentiate bad outcomes, and that I think we need to kind of be aware of that. So, what can pharmacists do? I, you know, as a, you know, in particular, I think some of the things pharmacists can do is 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 uh, keep an keep an eye out, especially for patients who are on very high doses of, of gabapentin. Let's say you have a patient 
who's on neuropathic pain, who's on getting, you know, three, three, you know, the 3,600 milligrams a day of gabapentin, um, especially if they're taking other uh, CNS depressant medications, if they're on, you know, they're taking clonazepam for their anxiety and they're taking, you know, and they're selecting the occasional Percocet for their back pain. Um, I think that can, as you might imagine, lead to, to, to a problem. And so I think, you know, watching the patient closely, counseling them on what's going on. I think the other thing that we can do is, is, is educate both, both patients and prescribers that, you know, while there is some evidence that the gabapentinoids can help with somatic pain, right? So, so, you know, pain, you know, that's, that's from mechanical injury or, um, um, that was like back pain or, 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 or things along those lines that the, the data isn't great. And, and in fact, when it's used only by itself as, as a treatment for things like low, low back pain, it doesn't seem to be beneficial. And so rather than go down that rabbit hole in a patient who's complaining of terrible back pain, they get, uh, the, 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 their, uh, you know, the, their, prescriber or their, you know, the physician prescriber, whoever to say, well, you know, I don't really want to put you on opioids, but Hey, we can try gabapentin on you. Um, I think why go down that rabbit hole in the first place? Because I think that you're you know, going to disappoint them that you're going to disappoint. Uh, and they just may end up with the side effects with, with very little benefit. Now, again, if it's part of a multi multimodal, uh, approach to pain management, especially in the acute phase, again, I think we have far more data suggesting that that's probably reasonable to do, but you're probably not also going to send people home on long-term gabapentin pentanoids after they had, you know, colon surgery or after they had a bunion removed or something like that. It might be part of the acute pain management, but they're not going to be on long term. So I think education of, of, of patients and prescribers that, that you know, uh, we are using gabapentinoids for, for, for pain syndromes that, that by itself probably doesn't have a lot of role, that these drugs are probably addictive, at least in, in a small percentage of patients, but certainly they can be abused in a much higher percentage of patients and that they do have the, the potential for harm is something I think that that we as pharmacists need to kind of let everybody know about. So, so that's this paper, um, interesting paper. If you, if you're a, a, someone who's like kind of a drug safety nerd, like I am head on over to, to the drug safety website and, and uh, check it out and, and see what you think of the paper. So we will uh, kind of wrap things up after a word from our sponsor, CE Impact right now. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So, you know, interesting paper that suggests something that I suspect is probably not news to especially most community-based pharmacists, that uh, gabapentin and pregabalin use has skyrocketed uh, even far more than I thought had ever, you know, I would have suspected, you know, um, and that it does have the potential to be abused and misused. And I think we, we need to be aware of that. I think boards of state boards of pharmacy are becoming more aware of that, putting more of these, uh, you know, controls, if it isn't actually a controlled substance, but at least monitoring PMP. And I think, I think pharmacists can, can do a good job of, of monitoring for that, watching for side effects, watching for some of these outrageous, you know, doses, you know, I mean, that you'll sometimes see, especially with, gap, with gabapentin. Um, and, and again, you know, you know, counseling people that, that you know, uh, while gabapentin does seem to be useful for a lot of interesting uh, 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 syndromes that, that it was, has never been FDA approved for, um, uh, it, certainly for, for chronic non-malignant pain by itself that does not have a neuropathic component, it doesn't seem to have much of a role. 
and you're probably just getting side effects and costs for, for, for no real benefit. So, so that's it for this week of uh, Game Changers. Hope, again, you enjoyed it. Uh, please, again, head on over to uh, uh, CE Impact. Uh, check out their website uh, and, again, sign up for their CE so you can get some credit for listening to me talk. Uh, head over to where you like your uh, podcasts uh, and like us and, and subscribe. And, and please tell your friends. We will catch you next week with uh, an, another episode. But until then, remember that time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>